0: Hello and welcome to the Mindset Growth Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emma Gibbs-Ung. Each show, I'm going to be using a combination of interviews with incredibly inspiring people from around the world who have achieved greatness, overcome adversity, and never given up, as well as solo episodes from me sharing my own journey as a leading mindset coach, helping to inspire, support, and guide you to create a growth mindsets so you can achieve success in all areas of your life. Are you ready to bring Mindset to life and create success from the inside out? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Mindset Growth Academy podcast. Today I'm joined by the amazing Kate Gray. Kate is an ex-Paralympic swimmer who represented Great Britain for 10 years. During that time, she competed at the European Championships, the World Championships, and the 2008 Beijing Paralympics. Due to ill health, Kate was forced to retire from swimming at the peak of her career, and has since turned her focus to the role as an athlete mentor, working with young people to promote the power of sport, and most recently has begun carving a new career in the world of media and broadcasting. Now as a successful BBC sports presenter, Kate will be sharing with me how she lost her arm during a freak accident on a family farm when she was just two years old and how she's never let her disability hold her back from proving people wrong and achieving amazing success both in and outside of the pool. It's going to be a good one. Kate, it's so lovely to have you here today. Thank you so much for for joining me. I'm so excited for you to be sharing your story with everyone today. I know that you have had a fair few challenges within your life, within your career and I can't wait for you to start to share some mindset resources of how you've coped with adversity but more importantly how you've never given up. So over to you really, can you just say hi and give yourself a brief intro?
1: Yeah, so hi everyone. Great to see you again, Emma. It's been a while. Um, We always have a catch up, so I hope we won't (laughs) ramble on too long. Uh, Yeah, So I am Kate Gray, I'm a Ford Paralympic swimmer and now work as an athlete mentor and a broadcaster. And I guess I've been on quite a crazy journey from very young to now where I am today, almost 30 years old, although I don't like to admit that. And I think my career has been built around many failures that I've had to turn into success. And I think that's been the message that I've taught myself and that I've told other people that actually there's no such thing as failure. Failure is just an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to learn, build and hopefully create success in other places. So hopefully that will come out in our story today as we chat.
0: Ah, I love that. And uh, I'm a massive advocate for that. Um, I just want to go right back to the beginning, if we can, because your story starts at a very early age. Um, and I was reading an article when I was doing some research uh, for, this, for this podcast and your dad always said to you that everyone goes through a life-defining moment and I totally agree with that, but that yours happened in 1991 when you were just two. Can you just give um, us a, a little overview as to what that, that event was and the impact that that's had on you today?
1: Yeah so um, I grew up on a farm. It was a fully functioning farm, lots of animals and I had uh, an older sister and at the time my younger sister wasn't born just yet but um, I was a a very challenging two-year-old I'd say. I was a terrible two. Um, Always liked to push the boundaries, take risks um, and unfortunately when I was two years old I managed to put my left hand into a sausage machine and it got chopped off. Um, Nobody's fault other than my own. I climbed out of my playpen onto a chair, onto a table, thought I was helping while my grandma and my mum had their backs turned, Um, put my arm into the sausage machine thinking I was helping, um, but instead it chopped my left hand off. Um, And that was my life-defining moment. I didn't realise it at the time. For my parents, they thought it was the worst day of their lives. Um, But for me, I look back on that day and I think, it changed my life for the better. But it didn't seem like it at the time. It was very dramatic. Um, My poor parents had a huge amount of guilt Um, on their shoulders, you know, people thought it was their fault. And um, I really didn't realise what happened. You know, I was two years old, um, my body completely closed down to what happened so i have no memories of of what what went on and i'm very thankful for that because yeah. i've been able to talk about it and when i share my story with people i actually laugh and they don't believe me and i end up having to prove to them look on google it's on google i tell you <laughs> and I, it was in newspaper articles as well because at the time my parents were bombarded you know people wanted to get the story you know young girl cuts off her arm in farming accident you know it's a great headline but for mm. my poor family it was it was just horrendous and i don't real ha- have any real memories from that that day uh, other than being in the hospital and then um, I used to suck my left thumb so that was my comfort as I'm sure most young people had when they were a child um, and for me it was my thumb and the only real thing I remember was being in hospital and, and realizing that something's not quite right here and I went to suck my left thumb which was no longer there it was wrapped up in bandages and I looked to my thumb looked to my mum and said mum where's my thumb and she just couldn't, couldn't quite deal with the situation at that point I hadn't quite come to terms with what they were going to say very quickly I found my right thumb I put that in my mouth and I was fine and in that moment I was proving to my parents that I was going to be absolutely fine you know you're faced with challenges you're faced with changes and you either dwell on that feel sorry for yourself and don't move on or you look for the new opportunity you look for the new challenge or you look for the new solution and at that moment in time I was two years old I put my right thumb in my mouth and, and that comforted me and my life has sort of followed that trajectory ever since. Um, I was always found things challenging, mostly physical things were challenging for me, sort of catching a ball, riding a bike, any sort of sporting thing was really challenging for me. So I almost headed towards that, wanting that challenge. I mean, school, I was never particularly academic, but I got through, it wasn't as if I struggled in that side of things. But when it came to being out on the playground with my friends, I'd always be saying, right, who can run the fastest or who can catch this or who can do a handstand and wanting to try and see if I could match my friends. And and that's always been the attitude I've had and having two very competitive sisters as well. I think that's helped me. Um, And I'm not a, a sport person that says everyone should take part in sport. You know, it would change your life. I found what excited me. I found what I was passionate about, what gave me confidence. And that was sport. Uh, and I think people can find that anywhere. And um, particularly having a physical disability, it fit well with, with what I wanted to achieve.
0: Definitely. I mean, just going back to that, that aftermath of that um, incident, obviously, you know, your, your parents carried quite a lot of guilt with it because it happened at their, at their farm. And you said your younger sister wasn't born uh, before the accident, so she's ever only known you. Um, has there ever been a time where you felt um, different In any way or have you always made it your mission to not have the focus on on what you can't do but more on the things that you can?
1: Yeah that's absolutely right. Uh, I was never surrounded by people with disability. I I didn't even really understand what the word disability meant and my parents never spoke to me in that language. I was no different to anybody else. Um, I had a different ability. There Mm -hmm. were ways that I could um, express myself and show off what I could do in different ways and I think that was how I approached every challenge. It wasn't right. Like, what can't I do? It's what can I do to make this work? How can I make this work? And sometimes I was a bit stubborn and I didn't like help. And yeah. I thought I could do it on my own, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate oh, yes, to. Can relate um, to <laughs> this is something, will, I'll do it on my own and you know, I'll find a way. And it took more time than the average child. And, and this is something my mum learned very quickly. Um, I just needed time. Mm -hmm. I needed time to learn how to tie my shoelace. I needed time to put on my socks and my clothes. And I needed time to learn how to do my hair, but I'd do it in the end. Uh, And I think that was a really hard thing for her to learn because she wanted everything to go back to normal. And it was never going to go back to normal. And they fitted me with prosthetic hand um, to hide the 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 fact that I was missing a left hand to begin with. And they only just recently admitted that to me. The main reason why they took me to the prosthetic centre was to hide the fact that I didn't have a hand anymore and to try and get something that looked exactly like my other hand. It never would, though. They don't do freckles (laughs) on skin and prosthetics. Um, It got hot and it got sweaty and it was uncomfortable. And I'd always be taking it off and leaving it places. But that was their way of dealing with it. They were finding a way to move on pretend mm-hmm. it's not there and I think my attitude helped them with that as well because I didn't want extra help I didn't want to be going off and spending time with other disabled children because I knew I could do what everybody else could do I'm no different uh, and I think that helps them overcome their guilt because they thought she's going to be absolutely fine yeah. you know she's a stubborn redhead um <laughs> throwing them that she's a middle child and now she's got a disability I mean if she can't overcome any challenges with that behind her then she <laughs> can really <laughs>
0: I, you know, I think um, what you've just said there is really powerful because obviously with your parents carrying um, that protective um, urge to, you know, to make everything right for you and, and, and to to try and protect you from, I suppose, any stigma that perhaps might come with, with a disability, but you inspiring them by showing that you have that, that inner strength within you. To to overcome this and to to take that challenge and to make it your own, um, and I think that that's just one of the things that I love about you is that you are very awe inspiring, um, and it's that attitude that um, of of proving people wrong that that I love. I mean, it's something that I've always strived to do. I love proving people wrong, um, having that little internal smug smile when you do it. But um, yeah, you know, how. Obviously, the physical um, aspect of your injury um, was very obvious, but you speak um, very positively about how you, um, how you coped with everything. But mentally, obviously, when you were seeing as a youngster um, in school, you, you were uh, drawn towards sports. It was something that you wanted to do to almost prove to yourself and to others that you could do it. But from that, there must have been some mental challenges that came along the way, because obviously things wouldn't come to you as easily as others because of the fact that that you had just the one working hand. And so, you know, like throwing balls and netball and, you know, various other sports, you just talk me through a little bit about how you coped with that, that mental side of it.
1: I think when when you're a child you don't really dig deep into those emotional feelings or reasons yeah. for those emotional feelings and as I, as I said I I didn't really mentally feel like I was at a disadvantage or psychologically have too many struggles when I was a child um I think my my biggest sort of connection to that and and thinking back is sort of using the prosthetic I found that hindrance Um, and when I was going through primary school I was sort of battling with myself of do I need this is this making me fit in or do I not want to fit in and that I think that's what you feel when you're at primary school are you trying to fit in or are you trying to stand out and be yourself Mm -hmm. and I think I learned that at a very young age most people don't really learn that until secondary school maybe even university but I always remember seeing a picture of my primary school, school photo Mm -hmm. and just crazy ginger curly hair, in my teeth, (laughs) freckles all over my face, grass stains down my jumper and, you know, and also having a prosthetic on. And I suddenly thought, my God, I'm not like anybody else.
0: Yeah.
1: But that didn't seem to bother me. But then when you're young, those things don't. And we weren't in the crazy world of social media that we are now. Yeah, of course. um, I also didn't really have any role models. So you know, I had to forge my own path of being my own role model. I remember watching the Olympics in two thousand and thinking, "Oh, I want to be like um, Steve Redgrave or Kathy Freeman from Australia, who was a bit of a, a trailblazer when it comes to yeah. breaking barriers in sport." And I never yeah. knew the Paralympics existed. I never mm-hmm. knew disability sport existed, and there was definitely no disabled role models out there. I mean, you wouldn't see someone on street come dancing with a disability, and you wouldn't see someone in front of the camera with a disability. Yeah. So. I sort of took it upon myself, I I actually look back and think, how was I so switched on and so resilient then already? But again, I had the right support systems around me. My parents allowed me to access every opportunity that came my way and I was very lucky in that respect. If Mm -hmm. I wanted to try dancing, I'd try dancing. If I wanted to try piano, I'd try piano. I was rubbish at them. I I even tried the cornet and that was horrendous. They (laughs) found a way to get rid of that cornet before it ruined everyone's eardrums. they, they allowed to me to open every door, decide whether it's something I wanted to pursue or not, and you either progress or you pursue other options, and with that, you learn more about yourself, and I was learning a lot about myself in primary school, so when I got to secondary school, I made this quite um, strong decision um I remember this day very vividly I, I went into the girls changing rooms to get ready for PE and I was really excited you know PE in secondary school yeah. was really great and I took my prosthetic off because I was still wearing my prosthetic at that point I went to the toilet and um suddenly I was sitting on the toilet and I could hear all this screaming and commotion outside and I thought oh my gosh what's happening so I went back out and they'd found my prosthetic hand and they were horrified. And they were right. like, oh my God, what's this? It's like a dead person's arms. And I thought, oh my God, they don't know that mm. I've got one hand. And I'd never experienced any kind of negativity towards me until that point because I was very protected at primary school. And my yeah. parents and siblings and friends around me had always accepted me. Suddenly you get secondary school and it was like, oh, wow. And that that really sort of hit home for me and thinking, okay, I'm strong and I'm in areas that, I'm comfortable in but this yeah. was a whole new world of meeting people that didn't know me and the prosthetic to me was hiding who I was right the prosthetic was yeah. feeling like I was covering up and that's what I'd spent the whole of my time at primary school wanting to avoid you know I'm not I'm not embarrassed I want everyone to know who I am and so I actively decided not to wear my prosthetic back to school again I rolled my sleeve up and I let everyone have a look and ask me questions and touch it if they wanted to because that's the thing they want to get over it it's just an arm without hand on the end yeah and that was sort of the real mental change I think I had in the fact that if I'm going to be true to who I am I've got to be completely open completely honest and let people in rather than sort of trying to avoid the topic which I think something my parents did a little they avoided the topic they didn't talk yeah. about it too much you yeah. know I didn't really know what happened to me until I got to a secondary school when people started asking questions because uh. I've been protected um so that was when I finally let my guard down and just went okay ask me questions we'll move forward with this together and hopefully they'll accept me the way I am and I think that's as close as I got to my psychological mindset being challenged at that age, but yes. obviously, as you get older <laughs> the, the the process of the mind becomes a lot more integral
0: yeah I mean, I absolutely love that, and when I read that, it, it just made me smile because um a lot of people, certainly children, would have shied away from that, and often people um are rude or hurtful because they have no understanding and they don't they don 't get it, so they just come up with. These weird things in their minds, and then before they know it, they're saying horrible things to certain people, often due to ignorance or naivety, or you know, a combination of both. And so the fact that you allowed people into your life and to understand um, what happened to you and to, to feel like your arm and and to not act all like defensive with it, I think is really amazing because that just showed that you were really proud of who you were and when you have that confidence in yourself people buy into that confidence as well don't they and so you you had almost no room for anyone to cast judgment on a negative way with you because you bought you, you turned it into a positive situation by by letting people in.
1: Yeah I think you're right about that word the confidence I mean Mm. I could have been a very different person in that vulnerable situation like we all are going into year seven and that transition meeting new people and I talk a lot about confidence in when I I share my story with young people because I think that's something they probably just don't have or haven't found yet and because of the fact that I lost my left hand and had to find my confidence so much earlier Mm. and be proud of who I am and I think that that moment obviously with the with the prosthetic that that again was that defining moment of either take this into a positive turn this into a positive and and make this okay or I hide and I shy away and I become embarrassed and and I have met people that spend their whole lives with those scarves wrapped around their stump because they just don't want to draw attention to it it's tucked into their arms it's Mm. it's still hidden under a really real looking prosthetic that doesn't do anything other than hide their arm and that that's what could have happened and I think it was just the processes that I'd gone through in primary school whether I realized it or not had built up confidence to deal with those situations so I guess I attacked my secondary school experience with that positive mindset which then allowed me to enjoy my time there rather than hide away and hate it
0: yeah I think certainly from from what I'm hearing coming through is that you throughout all of this have have never tried to be someone that you're not um and to embrace your uniqueness um with confidence which i think is really really important because quite often we can lose ourselves um, in comparisons and you know various other things that distract our mind and take us away from who we are and so hearing that is it just reinforces that the the importance of being true to yourself and to you know step in your own power step in that confidence and to not be ashamed um with you know with scars with past experiences with anything really and to to embrace it and to learn from it you you mentioned um you started to fall in love with sport probably to start off with more as to prove to yourself but over the those um at the beginning uh of, of your school life you started to really enjoy it and you then moved into swimming, but that wasn't necessarily for a sport reason, was it? It was more from a safety point of view from your parents. Can you just explain, because this is obviously the start of your your um, Paralympic career, so can you just um, share how that all came about?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't really talk about swimming in the early days, like when I'm talking about my story, just because actually that part of it was was always the challenging part and I always think oh no I wasn't that good at swimming to begin with that I'll, I'll talk about the other parts of school which was really great then mm-hmm. I realized actually that was the most important part of my career because I, I was very close to not being a swimmer yeah and and I always sort of say well my first experience of swimming I was four or five years old um, and I got taken to swimming pool just to learn how to swim as most young people will have experienced I mean my track record didn't prove too good and the fact that we live close to a river I should probably learn to swim otherwise I'm going to be in there drowning at some point. (laughs) so I got taken to my local swimming club and I got put into the swimming pool and if I wasn't going around in a circle I was drowning and I absolutely hated it and considering every other sort of physical activity I tried up until that point was was just brilliant that was terrifying because I couldn't help myself. You know, this was something I couldn't do myself. I needed someone else's help. And I got out of the pool and I cried and I cried. It was one of those summer camps as well that you go back oh, every right. day. So it's like yeah, six yeah. weeks, six weeks of this. Like, And then my mum, she <laughs> stood strong and she took me back every day. You know, my sisters were there to help. And even my grandparents came along at different points to try and mix it up a little. And, you know, it was just, it was so difficult just to try and one work out how to swim but also to overcome that fear which was just getting bigger and bigger the harder it became and um I decided I didn't want to be a swimmer there and then I just thought no nah I'll do all my other things my mum plenty of things going on I'm not going to be a swimmer and she just said no you've got to keep going so I had to have one-to-one lessons because it was becoming quite clear that Was a bit of a nightmare in the class because I was slowing everyone down but also they were all progressing much quicker than I was and that was quite hard to take as well so I got one-to-one lessons and um, it was just all about learning to feel comfortable in the water it wasn't about swimming to begin with it was just about feeling comfortable in the water and um, I decided that okay I've got to change my attitude here and again I guess I think this was how my my attitude became quite clear to begin with as a child was this wasn't about me being the best in the class this wasn't about me being as good as my friends which I think I used to connect to sport as being quite an important thing yeah this was about me just learning to swim and being the best version of myself so when all my peers were taken away from me and it was just me and the teacher we went very slowly and we went once a week and we stayed in the baby pool for a long time and Mm. so he progressed and my confidence got bigger and better and when I realized it was no longer about winning it was about just being confident and and being as good as I can be I started to progress so much quicker and I think that was something I learned again at a very early age is that it's not always about being the best or the strongest or the fastest at everything it's just about being the best version of you yeah and and I think we that is really I've related that to my life throughout because we get so hung up on being the best at everything without even really thinking, oh, my God, this is as this is good as I'm going to be right now. And I should really praise myself for that because yeah. we forget to just give ourselves a little tap on the back now and then to say, you did good there. You did really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as soon as that clicked, I enjoyed my swim. You know, I was never going to be like, wow, I'm going to be an Olympic swimmer. That never that never really honed in on me at a young age. But I thought, I feel like I can go swimming with my friends now and enjoy it and not feel worried. Uh, and so that was sort of a five-year process of just enjoying it, learning, feeling safe in the water, Taking going the to pressure. parties, yeah, just, just completely. Uh, mm. And it wasn't until I got to about 10 years old that uh, my lovely swimming teacher, who was, who'd continued to do one-to-one lessons with me, actually said, I think you should try a uh, competition for people with disability. And that was the real moment I actually heard the word D disability mm. oh what's that you know mm. what other people like me out there she goes yeah there's a competition down in Somerset I think you should go along and I think it was probably more eye opening experience my parents more than me because I think they were a bit nervous that was this what we wanted to do did we want Kate to be exposed to more people that might make her feel like she's not part of the the normal group yeah. anymore i think that word normal i don't like to say it but it, it's true yeah and i went to this competition and there was people there with no arms no legs uh blind deaf learning difficulties in wheelchairs cerebral palsy and i remember just looking around thinking oh my god you know why was i crying about swimming when this lot they, they have not got any limbs and they're swimming mm. and it really changed my attitude towards i guess swimming in general of thinking swimming is a great sport for anybody with disability or anybody that has got an injury because everybody can do it and I sort of thought I step out of my comfort zone a little bit now and let's try a competition um and I I swam and I won my first ever medal it was a little bronze medal the size of 50 pence piece but it was Uh a medal that made me realize that oh actually I'm not bad at swimming for someone with a disability but it wasn't about the medal on that day that day was about me being um exposed to people that I didn't even realize existed because sadly yeah. that was the world we lived in back then was, that was sort yeah. of t- almost 20 years ago and that was mm. hidden away you know the fact that i had been swimming for t- sort of five years and that was the first time I'd ever heard about this whole environment there was no disability swimming club at my my swimming club so yeah. you know that was that was the only opportunity we'd really had and and I met friends there that are still my friends today. I mean, one of the, the real moments for me was when I was in the changing room and I was watching these people around me sort of changing on their own. And I was thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to be like them as well. Because there was times when mum would always step in and go, I better do this for you. You know, we better be quick. Let's step in. And I was like, no, I can do this myself. And it was sort of realising, okay, it's okay. It's fine. And these are friends that I want to spend more time with. So it was the reason why I continued swimming was not to be a Paralympic swimmer, but was to spend more time with people like me. Um, And it wasn't a forced group, which I think sometimes there's a lot of charity groups out there that feel Hmm. a bit forced, like you've gone there because you have to meet people. I'd gone there to swim, but in the end I met friends for life. Um, And it was those friends that sort of, we continued and trained together and progressed through the system and I went back to my swimming club and started doing a few more training sessions a week. And then people started talking about Paralympics and whatever that was. And started looking out for a bit more, doing competitions all over the country and winning medals. And yeah, suddenly I was handed a a British swimming kit and a letter through the post saying, Okay, great, we think you've got the potential to be a Paralympic swimmer. Um, Come and join our training camp in Manchester and we'll we'll support you from there. And I was only 13 years old, so... Um that's where my career as an athlete really began. I think up until that point I was, you know, getting involved in all this swimming, but didn't really realize there was this long-term opportunity for me of competing for my country. I mean, that you, you just, you don't expect it because as a Paralympian that was never an option.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, from, from our point of view, I suppose, I guess the biggest sort um, introduction into Paralympics kind of came for a lot of people in the 2012 Olympics but obviously you know and I know that that it's been going on for a lot longer so you've just been in you know introduced to all these other people who were similar but different but unique but you kind of felt a bond and a, a network of people who understood um did that make you feel more inspired what were your thoughts with that because I know sometimes there is that stigma isn't there of disabilities which I want to change massively as you know I want to change so many different stigmas but did how how did it make feel when you were with them did you feel better off than them like you just said you know you you were like well I'm struggling to swim yet there's people here with no limbs did it give you that inspiration you know that encouragement you've spoken about that bond how did you all kind of work together to to push each other?
1: Yeah, I think you're you're right in saying that group of people, they have a bond, like a special bond that if you're you're in the in-group. It is like a club mm. and you have conversations that you wouldn't have with people outside of that club. So yeah. I've never really talked to my parents about things that I couldn't do because yeah. I've spent my whole life trying to prove to them that I can do everything. Mm-hmm. But you let your guard down a little bit with this group of people because have conversations that no one else would be able to relate to because my parents couldn't give me advice on how to do things with one hand I'd have to learn myself and just find my own ways of doing things whereas there were people in front of me doing it or trying it out or it was a bit like a help group for, for people with disability and you could just have conversations with no judgment with no fear and have a laugh about it as well um because people were still awkward around me outside of that bubble because they didn't want to say the wrong thing and i I work hard especially with my close friends for them not to feel like that and they Mm. don't but you're always meeting people that feel uncomfortable around you because they don't have to react they don't have to look for that group of people you know everybody looks different and we all just have this sort of cohesion of whatever you know talk about it let's get it off our chest and and say things that we wouldn't say to the average person because it, it that's that's the safety of that group and uh, that is why that's why I wanted to keep swimming just to spend time with that group of people and it wasn't forced it was why you're getting changed to go to the swimming pool or why you are hanging out around the poolside like it wasn't like you sat down in a group and had to af- actually talk about it it was just part of the process yeah it was natural yeah. and I think that's just something I didn't realize I needed and I was never crying out to my parents saying I need to spend more time with people like me but uh, when I did meet people like me I welcomed it it was like a ah and and that's why they're they're friends for life because they see you at your best and your worst particularly when you're competing in sport when you've won and when you've lost and when you're going through those horrible days of training um and and just have those honest conversations so that again coincided with that period of moving into secondary school And also, none of my friends who were swimmers wore prosthetics on their upper arms. That was something, you're a swimmer, you don't need a prosthetic because you don't swim with a prosthetic. So that was, again, that reality check of you are who you are. You're different, you're unique. And when you step out into the big wide world outside the bubble of your disability friends, you make sure you're setting a good example and making people realise that being disabled is not an issue. It's not a problem and it's
0: something to be proud of because you're unique. 100% 100% oh I love this um so fast forwarding obviously you you've received your letter you're in this the swimming camp when did you start to realize your potential to to become a paralympic swimmer
1: I think as soon as you get that british tracksuit it all becomes very real you're traveling all over the country my poor parents were just taxis for many years they couldn't (laughs) wait till the day I passed my driving test you're you're up at five o'clock in the morning going training and you don't get up at five o'clock in the morning to go training without having that goal at the end of it. You know, before that, I was I was a recreational swimmer that enjoyed competing competitions. As soon as there is a goal at the end of it, as soon as there's sponsorship and funding involved, there is an element of well, I've got to take this to another level. So yeah. I was training before and after school and trying not to fall asleep during lessons um and smelling of chlorine all the time Mm -hmm. um and for me that was quite an interesting phase of working out you know was this a job was this a chore what about my other sports you know what where was my focus and particularly as i'm progressed through secondary school the pressures grow in all areas of your life from your friendship groups to your school life and to your sporting life and they're all moving very quickly together And I had a number of different sports I was also doing, which I classed as my social life. And that that had to stop. You know, I couldn't be playing netball club anymore. I couldn't be going to athletics club anymore. I had to be just a swimmer. Uh, And that was something I sort of thought, oh, gosh, that that means this is serious. You know, now I'm just a swimmer. And also with my studies progressing as well, I realised that to be a swimmer i need to get my studies in order to be able to go to university to get to university i need to be getting this this and this in my a levels and again i think i got a bit of a head start because most people don't get that until they get to university when they suddenly think oh my god to get a job i'm gonna have to get this this and this whereas at secondary school i was saying right to get to university and to swim at the same time i need to be getting this this and this so i had to be really organized Mm. um and the the pressure i think at that point was it was quite heavy for sort of a teenager, you know, Paralympic sport wasn't massive yet. They were making it seem like it was the most important thing in the world. And I had to be quite honest and say, look, I need to have all parts of my life in order for me to be happy. You know, I can't just be a swimmer. You know, they didn't want me to go to university. They, it was this phase of, you should probably just focus on being a swimmer. You know, that's the most important thing. And I was like, I need a backup plan. And my parents have always encouraged me to have a backup plan because as a swimmer your career will end at some point and you need to go and have a normal life and uh, i i did make sure i kept it with my studies there were, there were times when i was falling asleep in class and struggling to get my homework done but i, I made it work uh, and that was again a, a mental process that i had to go through of where where's my priorities and i think yeah. at secondary school i just about managed to balance the two but it was when I got to uh, to university, um, it all got a bit too much at times, and um, I actually ended up doing my dissertation on the athlete mentality. Are they a athlete or a student? So, student athlete. Are you a student who does sport on the side, or are you an athlete that does education on the side? Right. Uh, and I got myself into quite a tizzy at times because I'd gone to university the year that I was also going to my first Paralympics and I'd had a lot of negativity around that of whether it was the right thing to do, were you taking on too much, should you just be focusing on your swimming, should you have a year out and at this time we also knew that London 2012 was on the horizon, we got the bid so that had also encouraged my development as a swimmer to go right I want to go to London 2012 so from 2005 it was very much university, swimming, how am I going to get there to get to London 2012 and um, first year of university as I said coincided with going to the Beijing Paralympic Games and um, it probably was one of the toughest years of my life because it's a whole new different environment, you've got Mm -hmm. new friends, new coach, new home, new education, new swimming timetable and I think I just sort of assumed it would all work out without too much effort but it it really didn't and when I got to the Beijing Paralympics after having to move all my exams around and change my essay timetables and deadlines and ask for extended deadlines which I hated doing I hated special treatment anything like that I would had to turn down friends parties and going out as a fresher you know I was making decisions that made sure I went to those games the physically best athlete I could be yeah and um well it it worked out i went there and i was physically as strong as i could be i competed in my first event which was the 100 meters breaststroke and um i qualified second fastest into the final you know my first ever paralympic games i was a bit of an outsider you know i was expected to make a final but i was nowhere near the medals but i did a four second personal best so i've done a massive leap (laughs) to not only be within chance of a medal but actually very close to gold and I remember just getting out the pool after that race and just thinking, wow, this is what it's all about. I've been training 25, 30 hours a week for this. I've been juggling my university studies for this. I've been declining invites and turning down friends for this. And it's all been worth it. You know, I walked along the media mix zone and Claire Boulding wanted to talk to me. She didn't know who I was at the time because no (laughs) one really knew who I was, but I had this sort of like, wow moment of, well, this is what it's all about, you know, I, I've, I've made it and um, I sort of had this moment of yeah this is the euphoric moment and then yeah. I suddenly realized had the final to come still you know that that was still eight hours away did I push myself too hard in the heats was was I not being smart about my racing was it just a bit of a fluke were all my competitors taking it easy oh my god I think I feel knackered now oh my god is my leg hurt and my shoulders hurt and all these negative thoughts started hitting me I hadn't prepared myself for and by the time I got back to my coach he was obviously over the moon and I was just like oh my god I I don't know how I can do this I I don't think I'm ready I I feel I feel terrible and for the next eight hours I didn't eat properly I didn't sleep properly I couldn't rest I couldn't switch off and I came back from my race and I remember being invited out to the crowd one of the last to be invited out because you're one of the fastest and I felt terrible I'd gone from being the underdog with no pressure and being the favorite and all eyes are on me
0: yeah
1: and I well I didn't I didn't swim badly but I didn't swim well either I mean all I had to do was repeat the time I did in the morning swim and I would have won a Paralympic silver medal but mm. I went half a second slower and it's not much no. but the way I felt in that race I wasn't you know physically there was nothing wrong with me mm. but mentally my mind had made me feel like I wasn't ready like, I yeah. couldn't cope, like, I wasn't good enough, and it yeah. wasn't my time. And as a result, that, that was the half a second that meant I finished fifth. You know, before, those games, if, before those games, if you just said, Kate, you're going to finish fifth in your first ever Paralympic final, I would have gone, No way, really? Okay, that would be great. Yeah. When I looked at the time and realised I'd lost myself a Paralympic medal, I mean, that's tough to, to deal with, and realised that it had nothing to do with your physical preparation. Mm. and it had everything to do with your mental preparation yeah. which I had not given any time to all I did is put a bit of music in my ears and think that would help but didn't really think about what that music was doing or saying or the type of music it was just walk out and hope that your body will do the job and um, that was my, my then project for the next four years if I was going to go to London 2012 with even more pressure on my shoulders because it's a home games I need to sort my head out I'd proved to my competitors and to my supporters that I was fast enough to be one of the best in the world. But I needed to change my mind games. Uh, And and that became my my sort of challenge.
0: Your mission. So you say that. So what did you change in order to to mentally prepare? Because this is where it really starts to kind of um, come or hit home to you, really. That actually, you know, I follow sport. Um, i 've done a lot of sport in my my life, but I follow sport and you notice the difference between those who are the, the gold, silver, and bronze medalists. physically you can 't really tell much difference, but mentally, that is where you will be good to great, you will mm-hmm. be bronze to gold you know you 'll be eighth in the final to first in the final. What did you do to mentally prepare yourself?
1: Well, so following Beijing, I was straight back into my second year of university. Um, Lucky I had just about passed that year and knew a bit more about what I was doing and where I wanted to go and managing my time. In training, it wasn't so much about sort of being too heavy about it, because I think sometimes you can go so heavy into your mental mindset that you don't actually listen to your body and listen to your mind. But we used to do a lot more um, preparation rehearsal. So I would on a Saturday morning for our last session of the week, I would do a race practice session and we'd build it up and I'd put my race suit on and I'd prepare myself like it was a competition. And you kind of listen to your body and think, well, what, what am I doing? Why is my mind thinking like this? Trying to prepare your body for what would be a race situation. And, and that helped because a lot of the time it is just practicing. It's like, mm-hmm. it sounds basic, but it's practicing those emotions, practicing those feelings. I'm realizing what's your tipping point and what's your optimum arousal point, which is what we talk about a lot in sport. It's your your optimum and then you fall over the other side. And um, I was just sort of trying to capture that moment and use it at the right times and work out what my head was saying. And I realized that it got to certain points of fatigue and certain points of stress that those negative thoughts started to come in. Um, and obviously at the end of the race that was when I was feeling particularly tired that those negative thoughts started to come in and that's when I just used simple markers like stop or put on a playlist or read a book or something that blocked out those thoughts in my mind Um, and that actually started to help me with my studies as well because it's a bit like taking an exam going for a race you you suddenly going up to the The table and sitting down with the exam paper in front of you. That's just like walking up to the block with the pool in front of you. And I started to realize that I have those same thoughts um, and same negative emotions coming through at at that point as well. So it was a case of identifying the points of vulnerability and then implementing those quite simple processes to block out the fear, block out the negativity. Um, And for me, I always thought psychology and a mindset was quite a complicated game but everybody's different and some people have different techniques that might seem more complicated but for me it was just a simple stop process distraction and move forward again and that would be a number of times that you'd have to do that but and practicing practicing that feeling and I, I became a bit of a machine to a point that I I knew when it was coming and I could stop it and I was, my training was progressing massively as a result of it because I was practicing in training because you get these negative small moments in training as well, particularly when you're tired. And I was getting through my university period as well and sort of could have been at breaking point, but instead I was sort of using it to my advantage. And at one moment, which could have been a breaking point, I managed to delete majority of my dissertation Um, just moments before the, or I think it's about three weeks before the, um, before the deadline
0: wow!
1: and um suddenly all my preparation as a swimmer came in really great in that phase because a lot of people are like, oh my god are you just going to give up oh my god what a nightmare like this is the worst but you you just take the situation you process it and you, you move forward and at that point I did actually have to stop my swimming for a couple of weeks and focus on what was the priority there and be able to mm-hmm. be rational in the situation which I don't think I would have done previous to that I, I wasn't always a rational person um but I definitely had learned that process and managed to get through my dissertation and, and pass my degree. Oh. And with that, um, my swimming career then became the focus. And that was something I was really confident in. Like I knew I'd done my backup plan. Mm-hmm. I'd gone through that that phase of my life and it was two years to learn in 2012. And I didn't want to have any regrets leading into that. That was going to be my my goal for the next two years so i was a full-time athlete which sounds glamorous it really isn't you don't get <laughs> like footballers do or anything like that yeah. um, but training was increased i was much more focused on sort of my nutrition my psychology my physio you know all of those things you were dealing with on a day-to-day basis and by that point my support system was so strong that they knew exactly when I needed them or when I didn't. Um, and for, for the first year, it was 2011, competed at the British Championships and won all of my events, broke the world record in one of my events as well, and uh-huh. I was the one in the world. And suddenly, you are what you've always wanted to be.
0: You're
1: i suddenly the best in the world. Yeah. You know, the plan had worked. I'd graduated from university, I'd become a full time athlete. It was a year before London 2012 this is exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And I thought, great, just keep going. So uh, I I did, I continued. Um, And in in all phases of training, you go through good weeks and bad weeks. But off the back of that competition, the bad weeks weren't clearing. Like for some reason, I hadn't bounced back from that competition as well as I'd hoped. And um, just feeling quite under the weather, coughs and colds turned into tonsillitis and sinusitis and this is ongoing for a few months and um my, my body just wasn't wasn't what it used to be and I was hiding myself away from people that would probably identify that so I, I didn't tell my parents I'd always pretend to I didn't have a cold on the phone and I would yeah. avoid going out with friends because they'd see I was not well my hair had started falling out and I've got very curly hair but my health had deteriorated so much that it had gone straight and flat and weird things that I was ignoring because I was aware that something wasn't quite right but it was just it was just a phase anyway it got to a point where I was really unwell in training and my coach pretty much just dragged me to the doctor and said you need to you need to get checked out this is not okay you are not well I'd lost a lot of weight and just was very unhappy and um I took some bloods and it turns out I had glandular fever. I'd had it for about six months and not even yeah. known about it. Um, and this was only a few months before the trials for London 2012. And I remember the doctor saying, he was like, so it's, it's not, no, not so bad, you know, unfortunately there's no cure for glandular fever other than rest. So you're just going to have to take a break. You know, to any other person that probably would have been okay. And I yeah. was like, you know, I've got the London 2012 Paralympics in just a few months time. I can't take a break. And he goes, well you're not going to get any better then and I was like well I'm going to do it anyway <laughs> because if someone says I can't do something uh, the attitude that I've always had in life is that I will and I think the mental strength that I'd built up over the years had become so strong that I'd been able to block out all of the negative thoughts of being unwell mm. and 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 not and, and any negative thoughts and people around me that maybe said I wasn't good enough happy. I was so sh- so mentally strong that I was like I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I can do this and actually at one point there I realized that my mental toughness was going to drag me to the trials I was going to go to the trials I didn't care that the doctor told me I couldn't and whether that was the right decision or not I don't know but I've never regretted it right. because I would have regretted it if I hadn't I'm
0: gone
1: yeah and um, mm. And this is where that sort of battle with your your mindset does become a bit of a balancing act. Because sometimes you can become so mentally strong that you sometimes forget of just stopping and just listening to your body. Because what had happened, I'd stopped listening to my head.
0: Mm. I'm sorry,
1: I'd been listening to my head and my mind so strongly that I'd stopped listening to my body. And my Mm. body was saying, stop. Uh, Yeah, and as you said, the self-care side of things. Um, And uh, I did make it to trials for London 2012 because I dragged myself there and I, and I missed out on qualifying by half a second, which uh-huh. if you click your fingers is half a second. Yeah. It's always half a second. And, uh-huh. and that was, that was the end there for me. Um, I was removed from the team. Um, uh-huh. It was quite emotional as well, because it wasn't like you're cut, you're off. We don't like you. Kate. It was, everyone was expecting me to be there. You know, I was of one of the best in the world and no longer that, that was no longer the case. And um, I had to really, <coughs> work out what I was doing and who was I'd lost all of my identity I'd always been a swimmer I was a swimmer going to London 2012 and that's all I was people asked me about oh Kate how's training going how's it going going to London 2012 we've got tickets we're coming to be amazing and what was I going to say now you know what was I going to talk about that was all I'd done for the past few years my whole life had been built towards that for the last seven so uh yeah that's probably the lowest point yeah. of, of things, and considering I'm someone who's chopped her arm off and freaked people out with prosthetics but that that was probably the toughest moment and um i I didn't go home I, I went back to my my place at university and decided I was going to have to deal with this in one way or another and I had a, you know a time where I felt very sorry for myself and dwelled on things and became the person that I didn't want to be. But luckily, all of that life experience kicked in and I started yeah. looking around at other things. Well, I do still have my backup plan. You know, I knew I'd done my university degree for a reason. Um, I wasn't able to do my teaching course for another year because I'd missed the application points. So I thought, right, work experience, I've got no work experience. And just started... Touch different you. charities. Yeah. Bit of bit of grafting as they call it, you know, making sure you're um you're putting yourself out there and got involved with the Youth Sport Trust, which is a company that sends athletes into schools and you work with young people through your experiences in sport. And that really, really helped because I I wasn't coming to terms with the fact that I wasn't a swimmer. I was focusing on what was what was the next step what was going to fill my time and actually when i had to tell my story i had to admit that i was no longer a swimmer anymore is that quite
0: cathartic for you
1: i mean the first time i because i had been doing a bit of school stuff before just for friends and stuff and it was easy you just say and now my goal is to go to london 2012 of course and then i remember the first time i had to go into a school it was my first visit for the youth sport trust as well and I thought oh my gosh you know how am I going to finish I know everything I'm going to say up until that last bit Mm. and um And it was in, it was like an awards evening. And there was a gentleman there who'd competed in the 1948 London Olympics. And I was like, wow. And they'd invited me along there as someone who was gonna compete in the 2012 Paralympics. I told them beforehand, I wasn't going anymore. And they said, well, that's fine. Can you still tell your story? Mm -hmm. And I stood up and I told it. And it was the first time I think I'd said aloud, unfortunately I'm not going to London 2012. And I had a lump in my throat and I was really holding it together um and with that everyone stood up and clapped like and like couldn't quite it gave me like a round of applause because I'd obviously done the build-up and explained it as as Mm. I've told you and actually for me being able to admit that and realize that there were other things coming my way um people found a positive message in that a different message it wasn't a message of and I won a gold medal and I went to the London 2012 Paralympics it was I failed but, but I'm not serious. classing it yeah. as a failure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a new opportunity, mm. and that for me was the biggest healing process. I think I've I've uh-huh. went through during that phase of going, okay, it's all right to say I failed, because yeah. I'm turning it into something positive. You know, I'm not just sitting there going failed and that's it. I've yeah. sat there and I've gone I failed but I'm turning it into something else and I'm going to make something of this. Um, and, and that that's the healing from... process. Yeah, and, and that meant I was ready for these exciting opportunities that were coming my way. So as a result of not going to London, I was con- contacted by the BBC who were looking for commentators and pundits to support their coverage. I, I literally had a random phone call one day and it was, uh, as you do, it uh, said, hi, Kate, this is BBC Five Live. We're, we're looking to get some more people involved in our swimming coverage tell us what you've been up to recently and I I just sort of spoke about what I've been doing in schools and yeah yeah it wasn't what I was saying that they were bothered about it was how I was saying it and my attitude and they said great are you free for the London 2012 Paralympics? And I sort of went, yes, yes, great. Yeah. Like, okay, we'll send you all the details, put the phone down. I like, cried my eyes out. I was like, oh my God, like this is this is the new thing. This is the new opportunity. I didn't go out searching for it, but I was in the right mindset to be opening up to those opportunities. I mean, if they've come to me a couple of months before, I think I've gone, that's the worst thing i would ever want to do i mean i don't want to go back to the place that i wanted to be as a swimmer and now there is somebody else um and i had the most amazing time at the london 2012 paralympics as a commentator yeah i cried on national radio i got to interview some of my closest friends as they won paralympic medals and i got to be a part of that change in perception towards disability yeah yeah and was actively involved and was spreading that message of disability and Paralympic sport not being about heroes and brave people but athletes that have trained just as hard as Olympians and and I was very passionate about that message and I was also very true to who I was you know I wasn't afraid to be my usual young excitable cryy self at times and people liked that again, being true to who I was. Um, And off the back of that, they were like, Kate, we need more people covering Paralympic sport. Would you like us to, would you like to do more work with us? And I was like, absolutely, yeah. And we'll put you through training. So I went on journalism courses and reporter courses, presenter courses. And um, that's that's sort of been a part of my career for the last five years, five, six Mm -hmm. years of working for the BBC as a sports reporter, um, covering majority Paralympic sport also in minority sport and women's sport um that's something I've sort of stayed quite true to um as well as still working in schools as, as an athlete mentor um and I always say I had two goals when I was a kid um which I think you sort of do as sort of an exercise in yeah. primary school or whatever and I had two goals one was to become um a Paralympic swimmer so I must have been secondary age by that point because I knew what Paralympic swimmer was and one was to become a PE teacher
0: yeah
1: and um, it's uh, strange I sit here and I haven't achieved either of those goals. However, I don't see my life and career as a failure.
0: No, gosh. No. And I
1: think that's that's the the message I always try and sort of summarize with is that mm. you will set out with big ambitions, big goals, big dreams. And more often than not they won't come it won't work out. Something will get in the way. You know, there'll always be a challenge or a hurdle that means you're distracted from that, or it just doesn't work out. But that doesn't mean it's a failure. That's just yeah. an opportunity to find something else to do. And and I actually think the opportunities that my failures have led me onto are things I would never even have imagined doing. But I actually think they're almost just as good, if not better.
0: But do you and know what? what lucky. You're championing championing those Paralympics, and you're bringing Paralympics into people's living rooms, mm-hmm. and you're opening people up to this amazing sport and so I'd say that you are a champion Mm. as far as I'm concerned you know I think what you're doing now is is amazing and it does your story just kind of really highlights to me that you know the importance of goals but that importance of the the mental strength that you have to deal with curveballs because we all have Mm. curveballs at some point and that what we um set as our goals aren't always the exact thing that happens. But for you, you wanted to be a Paralympic swimmer or a sports mentor. I think you have achieved those goals because a sport, Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, a PE teacher, but you are now a sports mentor. You're teaching people about sports, which, you know, is a big part of of being a PE teacher Mm -hmm. and being a Paralympic champion and swimmer. And now you are commentating on these events and bringing it to life and showing the world what other people can do is phenomenal. And I think, you know, it just shows that sometimes how we expect it to work out is not how the, you know, the reality of it is. But actually, you set that intention and you and you put all that hard work in and you've got the most amazing career and the most amazing experience to to build on. And clearly you've transferred that into a variety of different areas of your life, which is what I love because, you know, mindset isn't just about sport or just about business or just about life or money. It is transferable everywhere. And so, you know, where you had that experience with your dissertation, you took your experience from your um, mental training and your, you know, your sport to help you cope with the stress and the pressure that comes with that. Equally, you know, you've managed to, to um, face and overcome um, obstacles and challenges pretty quickly. And it is really about that comeback rate. You know, of I course we all have dark days. We all have days where we're challenged, where we think, you know, life sucks and, and we feel sorry for ourselves. It's that comeback rate. And that's what I love with you is that you've been able to build on that using the resources that you've, that you've built on and that you have within you to help you to, to be fluid and flexible and to, to have that confidence and that trust in your abilities and in yourself to, to, to achieve whatever's thrown your way, which I love. I absolutely love. That's a, that's a love. good summary.
1: And actually, as you said, those skills are so transferable. I'm still using them now. You know, working yeah. in broadcasting, that's a tough, tough industry to work in. I'm going live on, on TV and not wanting to muck up. And I'll inevitably muck up at times. It's live. And you'll say things you think, what was I even thinking about? But all of those things I've learned from being an athlete and having a disability and and dealing with setbacks in sport and and elsewhere has just helped me be that better prepared for when the next challenge comes along. And I think we'll all need those skill sets at some point in our lives. Some of us are faced with those challenges sooner rather than later. So I was very young. But inevitably, we'll all need to... to, gain that resilience and confidence at some point in our lives because there will be a challenge there of some sort. Um, and I learned it young. Yeah. I'm still using it now and will continue to. And I think that's, that's something no one can take away from you. You know, you build those skills up or mm. you have overcome those challenges. And sometimes as you said, those damn days can feel long and yeah. never ending, but there's always something around the corner. You've just got to be open-minded and realize that, as I always keep saying, it's not a failure. It's not a setback. It's a new opportunity. And it's not about the down. It's about how high you bounce after that down, after that ball dropping. And, And I think, you know, I still don't know how my career might progress. There's always something around the corner that may take you on a different trajectory, but I know and feel confident I have all the skills a mindset of attitude and self belief that I can deal with them. And yeah. Whatever that might be. You know, I'm at that phase in my life now where I'm getting married and my Ooh. family around me are having children. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's something I'd really want to do yeah. as well. But that, that will come with its own challenges and, and that, the, the skills. And you know very well, Emma, the skills yeah. that you've learned away from your personal life and your job actually ends up coming to help in your
0: personal life. Um, 100%. It, uh, and I think that's, that's the, the important message for me, I think, is recognising that it, mindset work is fluid, but it evolves as we evolve. Because if I very much believe that, you know, there is no such thing as failure like you, and that it's an opportunity to learn, and therefore it's a win-win situation. And so you're learning, you're growing, you're developing and expanding, and comes with that, is evolving your mindset to, to keep up with it really and to, to continually flow in the direction that is positive and successful. And that's what I love is, you know, you have had, um, a, you know, quite often a rocky road at some point, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but that fluidity has, has followed you and that flexibility with your approach and that, that underlying confidence that you have in yourself has become apparent and you know, it just shows the importance of having that and an amazing support network around you, um, of breaking everything down and just, just um, being honest with yourself, staying true to yourself. You know, that's so important. And I've loved um, having this opportunity to talk to you and to share this, your story with everybody. I just want to finish with one last thing. What's your mindset mantra that you use in your life?
1: Uh, I think something I was always taught, uh, <laughs> I don't like saying this is something I've always been taught, but it's something I then realised is very true. You can only control the controllables. I mean, oh. you can get your life so wrapped up in everything going on around you. Um, for example, when I was a swimmer, I was constantly worried about my competition. I can't control my competition mm-hmm. you know that was what meant that my mindset was completely distracted because I was looking at what my competitors were doing rather than what I was doing um when I'm working now you know I can't control if one of my work colleagues is not able to do what I need them to do you know i have I have to focus on what I can do to make it work and controlling the controllables is is my sort of solution-based approach to everything now and i i say it from people like my mum to people that i work with in schools people that i work with in media and it's something that i think is very relatable across all areas of your life it's simple and and i've always tried to keep it simple
0: yeah do you know what um i smile because that's smile and my sister's little match for each other we both say control the controllables because we're both slight control freaks um but it's so true we try and control so much and it distracts us the minute you just focus on the things that you can control and that you're, um, you're in a position to change and influence, then the rest either falls to the wayside because it's not relevant, or it all kind of comes together without stressing about it too much so there's,
1: there's been moments in my life where I haven't always done that and I yeah. think you know for example in the lead up to London uh, I started to not control the things that I could control i.e my health my body yeah, my well-being and I think when we talk about that now your sleep your nutrition your your mental health those are things you can control to a degree mm-hmm. if you're willing to. But sometimes we let that slip and we focus on the things that we can't control. And, and that's exactly been the things that I've identified over the course of my life, that when things haven't been right, it's because I've let the things that I can control slip and i yeah. focus too much on the things out of my control. Yeah. Um, and and that, it, that, that is pretty much what it comes down to. And uh, I now am much more focused about what I need to be doing to make myself be able to be the best version of myself.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Kate. I've loved this. I could talk to thank you for you. hours, as we have done. In we have done. <laughs> um, but your, all your contact details will be included in the, in the show notes. Um, so if anyone is interested in, in following Kate or finding out a little bit more about her, then I will have all her contact details in the show notes. But for, but for now, thank you so much, Kate. This has been amazing. Really appreciate Great. it.
1: Thank you, Emma, for your help as well.
0: Thank you.